Welcome to ENS Radio. Today we'll be discussing ETH Sign, which is an um, amazing project in the ENS ecosystem. Really looking forward to getting started. And so just a, a little uh, brief background, you know, as um, stated by them in their own bio, they, they are the interface between Web2 and Web3 by connecting legal agreement and smart contract. And so I think this is like a really interesting team that is working in the legal aspect of Web3. But again, as they mentioned, it is connecting Web2 and Web3 is chain agnostic. And I think it really is a glimpse into the future of both legal and you know the on-chain world. And so looking forward to getting started. Today, we have Jack joining us who's the co-founder. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? And could you please introduce yourself for us? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Jack. I'm the co-founder and uh, CTO of Eatstein. Um, not a very interesting person, so not a lot to introduce here. <laughs> but uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound great. And I'm sure you have a lot going on. So definitely feel free to share what you've done in your past. Yeah, so um, I um, I graduated, you know, a fun fact about myself is that, um, so my major is actually computer science. But before that, I actually did uh, film. I used to be a film school student. <laughs> and then I transferred into computer science got my uh, undergrad and graduate degrees. And now I teach part-time, I teach actually, uh, I teach the blockchain minor, two of the classes in the blockchain minor at USC part-time. So that's pretty, that's another fun fact about myself. Oh, awesome, that's really cool. And so I see we also have Potter down there. And so Potter, if you'd like to join us, definitely feel free to um, request. But yeah, that's really cool that you're also teaching um, you know, minors at USC for that. So wow, like really interesting intersection between education and blockchain. Um, you know, I know I did a brief introduction, but I'm sure, you know, as co-founder of ETHSIGN, you could, um, you know, provide an even better high-level overview. So could you just kind of tell us a little bit about ETHSIGN and, you know, what, like, the mission and purpose is? Yeah, so in a nutshell, ETHSIGN uh, basically allows um, everyone, every Web3 user to sign documents, sign <clears throat> legally binding documents using their Web3 identity. So <clears throat> compared to some of our Web2 counterparts, obviously the biggest difference is that uh, we are Web3 native, so um, <clears throat> we don't even have a database, right? Everything is based on Web3 infrastructure. And um, fundamentally, our, our, if we're talking in terms of the database, then our user ID is basically just your address, right? Um, and aside from that, that kind of uh, architectural difference, um, when it comes to uh, designing, uh, designing the product and implementing it on a technical level, um, we basically uh, we stick very close uh, and we try to honor the Web3 ethos as much as possible. Well, that's great. Um, and I, I feel as though it is really great to see that you're utilizing things such as Arweave. As you mentioned, you don't have your own 
um, data servers and such. And so, yeah, I think this is like a really, um, you know, great way of building the next, you know, DocuSign or legal agreement based platform of the such. And so maybe you could kind of start by telling us some of the different products you have, and then we can go one by one talking about the different features and utilities they provide. Yeah, of course. And also, uh, I noticed um, my other co-founder just joined, Shin, he's here. So now now you've got all three of us here. Um, if, if Shin wants to, um, if you want to request the mic access, you can uh, come up and also talk through things if you'd like. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I got sidetracked. What was your question again? <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yes, um, I did send them invites as well. So Potter and Shin, uh, please come on stage if you like. But yeah, so I think, you know, you have multiple things going on at East Sign. So maybe you could start by telling us like the range of different products and then we can go one by one talking about the different features and utilities they provide. Yeah, of course. So we currently have three um, different product lines, um, two of them being major products, one of them being a prototype product. So the the, the first one, obviously, is uh, East Sign, the name of our project, right? That's our original original product uh, that got us through, got us to uh, this place. So is as you said, is document signing on Web3. Um, everything is uh, decentralized um, and you sign with your Web3 identity, right? Um, that's, that's just in a nutshell. We can go into more details in a bit. And second, second product is token table. So token table is an on-chain um, capital cap table management slash token management slash token distribution platform. So uh, if you look at two products uh, within the same scope, uh, it's kind of like um, they kind of work together, right? So let's say you're you're in a fundraising workflow, then you kind of sign your stuff on East Sign, and then you can export that data into token table, and then build your uh, on chain token or cap table. Um, so that's kind of how the two products work together. Um, and our third experimental product, prototype product, is actually called C3. Now, C3 stands for Communities Creating Change. Uh, you can think of it as an on-chain uh, change.org. But the difference is that we actually, we're actually working with WorldCoin, WorldID. Um, and uh, so the problem that kind of uh, that's facing change.org is that, you know, anyone can just sign anything, right? And you have no idea, like, if, if the same person created, like, a thousand different accounts to sign the same petition. Um, but with World ID, you know, their uh, proof of, uh, how, did it, how did it call that? Uh, humanist or something? Human. Yeah, yeah. Proof, proof of human. human. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with that, right, we can actually kind of, um, we can separate the votes. We can kind of say that, okay, like here are the actual verified number of real human votes on this issue. Um, so I think, you know, that is kind of powerful because, um, you know, internet is a, a uh, from the very get go. It's been very anonymous, and you can basically do whatever you want. You can have a bunch of accounts. You know, you can be a civil. Uh, but uh, with this implementation, you can we can actually prove that you know every single action is done by a unique human being without uh, any of us actually knowing who they are, protecting their uh, privacy. So, um, so these are the three main uh, main products that we uh, currently have. That's great. And it's really cool to see you hitting on a bunch of different things. And again, just, you know, the whole point of Web3 is to have this interoperability and so that no one person has to build the whole stack. And so it's great seeing you leverage all these different technologies, Arweave, WorldCoin, et cetera. And so I guess I think, you know, ETHSign is just such a huge product. So I would love to just dive in there. Um, I think we go from like a user centric point of view first. And so for ETHSign, like how does, like, what are the options for signing in? 
can they use sign in with Ethereum? Can you kind of like walk uh, us through like the sign in and like onboarding process? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for each sign, um, as you mentioned, we are actually uh, our data, at least for the uh, the most recent version, the newest version, um, <clears throat> the data is actually stored on Arweave, meaning that we've actually uh, done away with smart contracts. And we want to do this because we want it to be chain agnostic, meaning that um, people really like the new product. I think the biggest thing is that people from any network will be able to, well, any network that we support currently will be able to sign with each other. So let's say you are, uh, you're on EVM. Um, I'm not going to say Ethereum because you know, it's the, the whole EVM thing is like, technically it's the same, but let's say you're on EVM and then let, let's say I am on telegram. Um, they have Ton uh, telegram open network. And let's say that uh, Potter or Shin is on Solana and uh, what's the other one? um solana aptos. and aptos I, i'm just drawing it blank there we go uh so all the four of us we can actually sign on the same document i think that's pretty cool huh so um literally you're able to sign with yeah it's cross-chain you're able to uh sign it with anyone you want as long as we support the wallet um and and again this is all because of the fact that we're based on our weave so we're not on any chain uh specifically but we do uh, uh settle and store our data on a decentralized uh blockchain storage blockchain which is our weave um and the and also uh, we also provide obviously social logins for those who um who are new to web3 i think this is a must uh because you know you uh, you, 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 right now, Web3 isn't at a place where you're able to explain it to your grandma and have her understand it in five minutes. So we do, we do use Particle Network uh, in order to support uh, social logins like Google, Twitter, or all that stuff. Um, yeah, so that's kind of our, uh, that, that's kind of like the, the first page, the login page when you go to our, uh, <laughs> when you go to our website. Yeah, thank you for that explanation. And it's just great to see that all these um, you know, applications and tools are starting to be developed in a much more user-friendly way. I think you know, as much as um, technology is important, if it's not user-friendly, if it can't be mainstream adopted, well, then there is you know, a lot that needs to be done. And so you guys are really working on that, so bravo. And so I think you know, before we get deeper, maybe we could talk a little bit about Arweave for people who don't know. And so I know you mentioned some of the benefits, but maybe we could dive a little bit deeper and how, you know, being um you know chain agnostic as well is a benefit if yeah if you just dive into that real quick yeah for sure um so i, I think the the uh, the pretty the first arweave is just like it's like solana just like the other ones but the difference is that from the get-go um the way that it was designed is to uh store data um and and therefore you know storing data is cheap you know ethereum isn't designed to store data it's designed with other stuff in mind so storing data uh, it's actually uh, prohibit prohibitively expensive on Ethereum, but now we've you know it's very cheap. Um, <clears throat> uploading is like it's so cheap that uh, we don't even ask our users to pay any gas fees because it's just so cheap. Uh, uh, subsidize the uh, the gas costs because it's again really cheap. Um, and I think a lot of people. Uh, I think the question that a lot of people might have is like, oh, why don't you use IPFS? Because, you know, that's kind of like a, IPFS is kind of like a buzzword in the Web3 space. Uh, but I think the main the main difference is that, and a lot of people, um, I'm not sure if like um, people don't realize this or uh, maybe sometimes this is like intentionally um, understated or overlooked is that IPFS is not a blockchain. 
Um, therefore, uh, there's no guarantee of, and, and also IPFS does not have an, incin an incentive mechanism. Um, so if you upload stuff onto IPFS, um, there's no telling uh, where your data would end up. Um, I mean, there is, you, I mean, you, up, you have to upload to some node, but, but the thing is like, there's no guarantee that your data will be there forever. Like, sure, you get like a, a unique identifier, but the problem is because it's not a blockchain, so, you know, historical data integrity is, it, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as historical data integrity because again, it's not like a blockchain where if you lose a piece, like for example, Ethereum, right? You can't just randomly lose a block because if you just randomly lose a block, you would basically break the blockchain. Like it just wouldn't work anymore. Um, but for IPFS, that's not really um, <clears throat> that's not really a problem for them. So, and also again because it's free, so there's really no reason for people to just like keep her data. Uh, but then there are providers such as um, oh, what is it called? Pinata. There we go. Uh, providers like Pinata, right? But then you know you're paying them a monthly fee for your IPFS node. At that point, it's really is it really different from just AWS S3 or Google Drive, right? Um, so that's kind of my my question. And Filecoin is a, in an incentive mechanism built on top of IPFS. But the problem with that one for us is that for Filecoin, um, the way that they uh, the way that their uh, ec uh, economics work, uh, you cannot pay once and have your data stored on-chain forever, on Filecoin forever. So, uh, I mean, we can't really ask our users to like come back and pay a fee every year or something, right? Um, and, and even for us, it's like difficult to keep track of. So for our weave, right, it's a blockchain first, first and foremost. And then just like Ethereum, right, you pay once and then your transaction is on-chain forever. It's the same, same, same way for our weave. Um, and um, it just ticks a lot of our boxes and which is why we decided to base our stuff uh, on our weave. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think you highlighted a lot of, you know, reasons why certain storages work for certain use cases. But in your case, I think, you know, a good word to like phrase it. And I've heard, you know, a lot of people in our weave community describe it as the permaweb. And so we could probably touch on this further later on. But basically, if you upload a contract to ETH sign, once it's uploaded to our weave, even if ETH sign were to stop you know, developing or whatever the case may be, just, you know, hypothetical. Well, it is your document is still stored in Arweave. It can still be, you know, legally binding. And so that is, I think, a really cool feature of what Arweave um, enables. And so it's great to see that you guys are utilizing them. And so I think like the next step I would like to go is, so say someone signs in, now they're into eSign. What do they do next? How do they create a contract? Maybe we could talk about templates, you know, uploading, uploading. where's the contract saved until it's uploaded? And the such that just that whole contract part of it, I would love to dive deep into. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'll play. So uh, just going back a little bit, I always say that uh, I, I say to my team sometimes it's like uh, we have to make sure that uh, people can still access your data even if we all get hit by a bus at the same time tomorrow, um, <laughs> which is unlikely. But if that if that does happen, our goal is to have our users still be able to access your data. Uh, anyhow, so moving on to you know actually uh, moving on to the next page was like the dashboard and how people upload stuff. So up to uh, to create a contract is actually very easy. Um, you can either upload um, a PDF or a uh, a Word file docx, uh, but we do um, we do prefer PDF files because docx, uh, as you know, sometimes and that's like basically why PDF was invented. One of the reasons is that if you send docx 
DocX or someone else, there's a chance that the formatting gets messed up. So uh, the easiest, the, the best experience is definitely with PDFs, but like there's a button on the upper right corner of the page. Uh, you can click into it and then drag a PDF file into the, onto the page. Um, and then afterwards, you know, you can, in, you can invite your, um, your contract recipients. Now they can either be signers or viewers. So signers, uh, and you know, this is pretty self-explanatory, but signers, um, if, it, if, if someone is a signer and they're assigned a, a signature box or multiple signature boxes, right? But if they're a viewer, they only have the permission to look at stuff. They can't really um, sign anything. Um, and we actually, um, uh, and we, uh, we just pushed out a new version um, of this thing where um, you are actually able to um, add people via their email addresses. Now, and I understand, you know, so when, when I said this, you know, uh, some, uh, some Web3, uh, hardcore Web3 people, they might, they might be, uh, you know, uh, rolling their eyes that, oh, there we go, another uh, email uh, Web2 sellout. But then hear me out here. Because and saying that you know even even when you know they're on web3 sometimes the people that they sign it sign with uh they're not or you know it's easier to find people via their emails so the way that we did it is that uh if you invite someone via an email or uh, we also have it we can generate like a shareable link uh now if someone clicks into that link the first thing that they have to do um is that they have to uh, basically bind their wallet address to the email or the link or whatever. Basically, they have to, like, you can invite people using the Web2 way, but the first thing that uh, th those signers see and they, they have to do when they click into that link is to um, basically uh, confirm their Web3 identity. So it's still Web3-based. It's just uh, some of uh, quality of life stuff for, like, um, ease of use. Uh, and once you do that, if you move on to another stage, um, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear this, but it's like a fire truck. Um, but the next thing that you can do is to uh, basically you now have uh, like a, uh, it's almost like an editor uh, page, but not really editing. You're not editing the PDF. Uh, what you're doing is um, on the left side, you all see like a, um, all the uh, a list of signers that you've invited. And then you can click on them and they'll have different colors assigned to them. And you can basically uh, drag the, the signing boxes or uh, labels or dates or whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. Basically, uh, the DocuSign stuff. Uh, but uh, we think ours look better. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you can drag those onto a document, position them. Um, it will be out there in public forever. Um, so... Uh, unless you want your stuff to be seen by everyone, which is, you know, which is the case sometimes. Let's say you're, uh, <clears throat> let's say you have like a DAO or community and then you're signing some kind of document on behalf of everyone as like a, an outcome of like a governance vote or something, right? You want everyone to be able to see it in that. You have by default and if you try to disable it, we do tell you that, hey, like you're you 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 know you're trying to save, disable this right like this will be visible for everyone forever um <clears throat> so um and and the way that, that the encryption works is that it is the encryption is done inside a browser right so again as i said earlier nothing is sent to us or are we before you click on the send button so the encryption happens uh before the actual sending happens so if you set a password or anything then um we uh, we don't get to, and, and you know we're actually see user data like please don't show us your data 
because like the moment you involve data, then everything becomes like infinitely more complicated. So uh, we try our best to not look at users' data, and and because you know all the encryption happens client side user, and you know, you know like unless we break cryptography, well, if we do break, if I do cryptography, the first thing I'm going to do is go to uh, go to the zero address and take all the money. I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> if we do break cryptography, then we've got more things to worry about. But, and, you know, I'm not that smart. So, um, so unless someone does break cryptography, then, you know, no one is able to look at your password unless they know what the password is. And speaking of passwords, we also have um, another uh, very, very interesting feature called Eastline Password Manager. Um, now, so this thing is basically like a, it's like a, it's it's a built-in um, it's a built-in password solution uh, in order for uh, for users to. Uh, we basically enable users to not have to remember passwords. Um, so if you turn this feature, now, now this is an opt-in feature, but if you turn it on, um, basically when whenever anyone sends you any uh, contracts that's encrypted, you have to know what the password is. And they don't have to tell you what the password is, but it, it is still encrypted. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's basically a way to... Again, this is another uh, another uh, feature that we uh, we're, we're doing in order to try to improve the UX because like sometimes people tell us like oh like I mean when you're setting a password you're you're so sure you're like oh yeah this is like so easy like it's I, I, I like I, I'll for sure memorize this but then a year passes and you try to look up some like older contracts and I'm like and you're like what the fuck is the password again <laughs> and then um and then you can't remember it's basically ruined right but uh, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to um, <clears throat> We're trying to eliminate uh, instances of people forgetting passwords, and also just like in general, if I send you something and we both have this enabled, or only use enabled, then you never. I I don't even have to tell you the password. Um, and if you uh, and I'm not going to dive into the technical details too much, um, but uh, it is just it is actually a pretty heavily inspired by by the way that XMTP works. Um, and anyhow, so so after you send it. Uh, we have another point of optimization, which is um, before everyone signs the con the before everyone finishes signing the document, the contract, it is actually temporarily stored on our backend. Now, the reason for this is that um, to the reason for this is to avoid multiple uh, storage calls to Arweave, and that's going to slow things down, which is which leads to bad UX. And also, if you think about it, um, a document that's half signed. I mean, when was the last time that you asked for a document that was half signed, right? Uh, no one really cares about something that's like not signed yet. So, so, so that's that's kind of a rationale. But again, you know, if you encrypt it, we we won't be able to see it anyways. And when the last person finishes signing, then we will actually um, will actually um, move this on chain onto our weave uh, to store permanently. So uh, that was a very long answer, uh, but that's basically how um, how this entire workflow works here. <clears throat> Yeah, that was an awesome explanation. And I so for people who are following along and are on their devices, I do have a lot of things pinned up to the top that Jack just discussed. And you know, I think when I'm listening to you, Jack, and every time I, I'm looking to each sign, I get this notice of you do a great job of balancing both UX and making things easy to use while providing a better service than the status quo, you know, this the web two standard. And so maybe you could kind of touch on like, you know. For one, I think, you know, now that we're at the point where the contracts are being uploaded to Arweave, can you tell us a little about those contracts? How are, like, 
can they be used for legal agreements in the regular, you know, U.S. system and such? Can you tell us a little bit about that as well as, you know, like I know you already kind of touched on this, but maybe go back, like especially diving deep into what additional features you can provide versus what is possible in Web2? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> I think, and um, speaking of like, uh, I, I like how you said the balance, the whole balancing thing. It's actually, uh, I I, um, I get into arguments with um, our product and design lead all the time because she's like, every time she's like, oh no, this is like horrible UX. No one will ever use this. And I'm like, no, this is not Web3. Like you can't do that. So <laughs> we, we argue all the time. And then uh, and then eventually we, we kind of uh, find that like a good middle ground. And um, that's like what we're trying really hard to achieve. We're trying to make our product feel Web2, but have it actually based on, on Web3 stuff, right? And I, and I think that is the sweet spot because like in order to educate everyone on how Web3 works, you have to teach everyone math and cryptography, uh, which is just not possible, right? Um, okay, so uh, so coming back to your, to your question. Um, so once the contract is in Arweave, um, <clears throat> sorry, you said, um, how is it, is it legally binding? Um, and what are the some what are what are the things that we can do uh, that uh, that cannot be done in Web two? Sorry, is that your question? Correct. Yeah. Like I think, like say someone uses a DocuSign or some sort of product from Web two. How can you tell them like what similarities and you know from the, like the actual agreement side, you know what guarantees do they have? And then yeah, as well, what additional features you have? Because I know you have some things that you know other products just cannot offer. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, so when it comes to the legal side, um, we are actually um, legally sound in a lot of jurisdictions. So now, um, in general, so we did our uh, and um, we actually have a medium article on that. Uh, but I, but it was written a while ago, but it still stands. Uh, but basically, uh, there are two kinds of. Uh, like the, the the governments in the world, they they're mostly split into like two different camps when it comes to um, the the legality of digital signatures. I think one is called um, technology technology neutral or something, which is um, basically means they don't really care what, what what technology you use as long as you can prove that there is like um, there is a sufficient uh, association between. Um, the sign, the signature, and all, and the signer, right? And um, in the case of Web three, this is just built in because that is literally the, the whole point of having digital signatures, is to prove prove mathematically. And uh, and. When we were doing competitor research and whatnot, we looked into the way that DocuSign does stuff, and um, the, the the not to bash on DocuSign uh, because that is that is just like the, the limitation of Web two. But the more I look into it, the more I feel like, and you can look into it as well. But the more I look into it, the more I feel like, how is this even legally binding at all? <laughs> because because if you actually look into their verification reports, uh, what they do track what they track is um, the time the timestamp. Of the signature, which may or may not mean anything, the IP address, which I mean, I can just get like a VPN, right? And um, and that's and maybe the I don't know, I forgot to track like the browser, the signing browser, user agent, but that's kind of it, right? Which is pretty sketchy if you think about it, because if I send you a DocuSign document, uh, you get a link in the email, right? Um, and <clears throat> if I then take that link. Uh, I, I steal that link from you and then 
if I open up that link, I can basically sign on your behalf. And, and you know, I can basically sign something with myself, but then it shows that you signed it. Um, and, and this is a fundamental limitation of, of the way that emails work. Emails have email, which is not very... Hey, Jack, I hate to... Yeah. Jack, I hate to cut you off. Um, sorry about that, but you're rugging a little bit. It's kind of hard to hear that. Just want to let you know. I don't know if there is any way to fix that or not, but just want to at least let you know. Um, that at least the past like ten seconds, we weren't able to hear. So maybe you could at least go back on that, please. And again, sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, no problem. Please, yeah, please stop me if I if I start to drop off or anything. Um, but yeah, I was saying that um, I can basically take a link that you have and then sign on your behalf, right? Um, and this is, that's a fundamental limitation of how emails work because uh, emails do have digital signatures, but in order to sign something with it, you have to send an email, right? Uh, and and um, in the case of DocuSign, that's just not practical, right? Um, but my point is, right, it's kind of, the solution as you, can, as, you, as you can see is kind of weak, right? You can't really prove that anyone actually signed anything. It's all just circumstantial evidence. Um, but uh, if you sign uh, with, uh, with a Web3 application, then, you know, you, you basically the only excuse you have is that I lost my private key, right? You don't have any other excuse. Um, so, um, so yeah, so so that's kind of uh, what's able, what can be done in Web three and not in Web two. And the other thing is, um, so uh, and the other thing is in Web three, if we have uh, if we use smart contract based uh, digital signatures, then we're actually able to uh, bundle actions together. Now, if you've written a smart contract, you know that uh, smart contract function executions they are atomic, meaning that either everything executes or nothing executes. And in that case, we can have we can start to have see a, a bunch of really interesting use cases. For example, let's say uh, we have a bundled action of signing an investment agreement and sending the money. Right now. Um, if if we're doing smart contract based stuff, then we can make we can we can, we can say that okay we can make it so that either both happens or neither happens, which I which I think is pretty cool. It is another thing that uh, Web two cannot do, but uh, Web three the way that Web three works can fundamentally guarantee um, that this this is going to work. Yeah, totally. And I really like your analogy to email because you know that is kind of like the basis of cryptography, but at the same time, as you mentioned, there is a lot of you know, flaws and, you know, being able to incorporate that into DocuSign and or, or any, you know, Web2 based legal agreement platform. And so, you know, with your um, platform and because it is on chain, even though on, you know, it's chain agnostic, but still on chain, could you maybe like dive further into the Web3 identity aspect? Because, you know, this is the ENS space and I know you have, you know, ENS names integrated into your platform. So could you kind of tell us about, you know, how ENS names and, you know, Web3 identities can help play a role in, you know, Furthering trust and furthering verification uh, via on-chain reputation and the such. Yeah, of course. I think the great thing about ENS is that um, it is actually human readable, <laughs> which I think is actually the whole point. But if you look at an address, it's not human readable at all. But ENS definitely gives 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 everyone a more um, personalized uh, on-chain identity. And um, and actually, when, when you're uh, inviting recipients, you're able to just type in their ENS and we will invite them based on uh, whatever uh, their ENS resolves to on the Ethereum mainnet. Right. Um, and uh, aside from ENS, um, which is a Web3 identity, um, we actually we actually also sub we're adding support for something called Sync Pass. And also, please let me know if I'm dropping off again. 
Um, but we're adding something called same pass, which is basically uh, the Singapore government run um, uh, digital ID system. And the, the reason I bring this, the reason why I bring this up is that uh, we see ENS um, on the on the same level of importance um, as uh, same pass, which is like a Web2 government uh government based uh, digital id right so i think web3 uh sorry uh, ens truly is um the uh, the primary identity of web3 um and when you're signing stuff you know you can choose to show ens um and even if you change up your, your ens later it's okay because you know we have the blockchain you can just go back and check at the time who owns the ens if this person is still you know who they say they are but i think um again like the the, the great appeal of ens is just that you know um identities become so much more personalized you become so much more attached to uh let's say for potter's potter.eth i forgot what it is. is is that part of that ETH? um instead of some random hexadecimal number totally yeah yes. potter do you want to jump in and say something i know you've been off the stage a while and so for people who aren't aware potter is another co-founder of ETH sign hello everyone can you guys hear me Yep. All right. I think uh, Jack gave a really good uh, uh, overview of, you know, and offer very detailed <clears throat> stuff about what we're building. And, you know, uh, with ENS, uh, we truly see this, you know, amazing um, feature that allows people to, you know, basically transfer uh, funds on chain became so much easier. And, but it also represents much more than that, right? And um, we're really, like, um, excited to more use cases for ENS community as well by you know allowing uh, all the ENS you know community members will have this you know enjoy this you know contract signing uh, future for free you know and uh, we do believe that you know this is like definitely a very meaningful integration and you know we hope uh, looking forward to like do something more interesting uh, with you guys in you know future product development but yeah um, really happy to you know uh, have me out here and you know please continue the conversation thank you. Yeah, and I would just uh, I like to jump in again. So, um, so this is just each sign the each sign product, we, but for like the token table product, and uh, we actually uh, we're planning some other stuff. Um, the, some some of the other other aspects of ENS can also come in really handy. So, for example, uh, ENS subdomains is actually a great way to represent um, uh, some kind of hierarchy when it comes to organizations. DAOs, maybe. Um, so, so I think this is something that's kind of like overlooked by a lot of people still, but mainly because um, I think it is uh, it is only a half piece of the puzzle because like um, no no one will wake up in the morning and then and then just say oh I'm gonna I can't wait to get a subdomain you know that's kind of weird but uh, when it comes to you know the DAO the organizational use case um, I think that is actually um, very very um, very very important. And I think that's a and and also you know for so for example right if if you're trying to um, let's say uh, you you are the uh, the 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 CFO maybe of some DAO right and you own an ENS something like CFO dot let's say um, and then you sign a document using us and then uh, on the document it will actually show the ENS and then later on right let's say that uh, we uh, we decide to let you go and we found a new CFO then we can just uh, because we own the uh, the Apex domain of eSign.eth then what we can do is we can you know we can just kind of you know uh, take back the CFO domain and give it to someone else but then you 
if you look at past documents, you know, the, the ENS still points to the correct um, organizational identity instead of, you know, maybe the CFO's like personal uh, private key, uh, public key or something. All of that is still the case, but then, you know, you have the ENS attached to it next to it, attached next to it, which shows that, uh, you know, at the time, uh, this person was the CFO of ESIN. Yeah, so it's like more like an access control in an organization and, you know, you'll be able to do more real business, you know, like uh, kind of like uh, document signing within um, within that system. And also, you know, Jack is also the author of like this EIP, uh, like ERC 6066, which allows, you know, users to use their NFT to sign a contract, you know, like, uh, and uh, so this ENS subdomain will be a good example of you know, how we'd be able to treat this. Yeah, especially like um, so. ERC six six zero six six. It's basically basically adds um, a a, a, dig, a digital uh, a digital signature uh, verification interface for uh, NFT contracts. Uh, this is basically uh, this is very much based on the way that Gnosis Save handles digital signatures, but um, but there isn't like a very very good standard for it yet. Um, so the way that this can work, I think, re really really well with ENS is that um, you know how in for ENS subdomains you're able to wrap it into an NFT, then, you know, we can we can even make it so that the NFT is the signer, not even the private key anymore, right? Um, so the signatures, the, the, the stuff that um, that ENS domain subdomain signs will actually stay with the subdomain and like the, the public key or the address won't even show. So I think that's, a, that's another really cool thing. Yes, I, I love that use case. I think having the the public key not shown is something that's really important. And I think you really notice that when you onboard or you get onboarded yourself, you know, you see, okay, I'm told I have the seed phrase. That's my private key. Okay. I'm told this public key is what I'm supposed to send money to. But if you're on a different, um, you know, blockchain, you're going to use a different address. If you're in the EVM, you're going to use, you know, different addresses depending on Polygon, et cetera. And so it, got, it becomes really confusing. And so I think, you know, obfuscating that away and getting rid of it is like a really you know great ux feature and so yeah looking forward to seeing how yourself and others uh, utilize subdomains for this and so one more thing that i think you know could potentially involve ens and just in general e sign um you know providing things that aren't you know possible the status quo of legal agreement platforms is your ability to integrate with different applications and the such you know being interoperable and uh, chain agnostic so i penciling up to the top about how um, eSign Next can actually be integrated into Telegram. And so could you kind of tell us about that and how eSign can, you know, in general, you know, be interoperable with other applications? Yeah, of course. Um, so with our move to Arweave, we no longer have to conform to any specific blockchain standards, uh, meaning that instead of, you know, working working with smart different smart different smart contracts written in different languages and different chains, what we do is um, we just work with cryptography, right? And, and cryptography is universal, there are standards, right? So um, the way that we can make it work on Telegram, it's the same as how we can make it work on EVM, right? As long as there is I, an identity provider, and in this case, you know, uh, Telegram has either TonHub, uh, which is like a, um, uh, an external wallet, or um, they actually have a, a self-custodial wallet come real soon built inside of Telegram, um, except if uh, if you have a U.S. phone number, then you're not going to get it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but basically, right, um, sky's the limit. Like as long as there is a, a way to generate a cryptographic message, then we can 
we can make our product work on that platform. So I think that's like the coolest thing about eSignX is that we truly, truly, like we're not constrained by anything anymore. Yeah, that really is a super cool feature. And so is there anything else you would like to touch on eSign? Um, maybe you want to, is, is there anything you can share about the eSign professional um, features? Uh, yes, of course. Um, so for us, um, you know, uh, Eastsign Pro, we actually, you know, we, we, we're still kind of um, debating and thinking about uh, what features to put into it. But Eastsign Pro is, is a more, uh, I wouldn't say enterprise use case, but more, I guess, professional use case. Um, and um, so some of the interesting features. So for example, uh, currently we do have like, uh, we actually have, we built a contract, legal contract library with uh, some of the leading law firms. Potter probably know their names. I Cooley and um, I forgot the other one. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, um, and, and I think they were like the uh, Cooley or Mankun, were they like the authors of Saft and Safe or something? Yes. Cooley is the author of Saft, but not Mankun. Yes. Yes, Cooley. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and you know, so we're working with these people to, to, um, to create contract templates where, you know, you can just, you know, you can select it and then you can use it. And we have like preset fields um, ready for you to fill in. And uh, once you do that, um, one of the pro features is to actually bundle it with payment. So um, so once you, once you let's say you fill in the SAFT uh, and then whatever you fill, whatever values that you fill into the SAFT, it will automatically be turned into a smart contract transaction. Uh, to be to be executed um, by either you or the other party, and um, and for this to work, we actually have to move back onto individual chains um, because you know to guarantee both happen at the same time um, programmatically. Again, you know, if, if we want to be centralized, then we can just say, oh, you know, we'll be the uh, adjudicator or whatever. But you know, I don't want to do that, right? Because I want things to stay uh, to stay true to the Web three um, ideals, right? I don't want to uh, I I don't want to compromise on the web3 ideals uh, in the name of UX um, although this is like this is a, a pretty big step back because with this with this we kind of have to go back to individual chains but at least you know uh, it is again trustless uh, you don't have to trust us you have to trust the code but uh, but basically you know this is one of the pro features that we're planning um, is to bundle bundle these things um, and um, and I believe it's Shin still here if he, if he is still here, um, because I feel like I've been talking too much. Okay, I, I guess he is. Um, <laughs> you got um, but good. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that. That's just like one of the things that we're planning. Um, and uh, we, we and again, we haven't actually, uh, we haven't uh, completely fleshed out what Pro will look like, and you know what's going to stay in the standard version, what's going going to go into the pro version. Um, but for the pro, what we do know is aside from what I just talked about, we're also going to. Um, uh, have uh, SDKs, so basically um, potentially white labeling each sign to be integrated into your your own custom application workflow. Uh, that works too. Um, and currently, uh, and these are currently um, just the stuff that uh, we've been kind of uh, talking about internally. Uh, and, um, and yeah, that's kind of that's kind of it for now for Pro. Because again, you know, uh, what we what we want to do is we want to make our current product really solid uh, before we. Uh, before we move on to the next thing, right? We want to take we want to take it one step at a time, and we want to make sure that every step is solid. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and yeah, really looking forward to seeing that launch when the time comes. But definitely, 
yes, super glad to see you killing it with East Sign and, and East Sign Next. And there's just so many great things that I see, you know, possible that weren't previously, um, you know, able to be done in Web2. And so I think that, like, you know, wraps up East Sign. And there's just, again, there was just so many great things. Um, if people, if you were not listening um, from the start, definitely feel free to go back to this. This is recorded and you can listen to the beginning of it. Um, but I would also love to, before we wrap up, talk about Token Table because I think that's really cool. And so I'm going to penciling up to the top. So if you're by your device, definitely go free, feel free to check out this um, thread. It's a really great explanation. But um, Jack or Potter, could you please kind of tell us a little bit more about Token Table and what you're trying to do with this? Yeah, I think Potter can talk about the business aspects and I'll talk about the technical stuff. Yes, for sure. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, mentioning Token Table. So Token Table is actually what we have, you know, spending a lot of time building over the past year. And um, the idea was uh, pretty simple at the beginning. I think Jack briefly touched uh, on it uh, a little bit is um, we trying to execute, you know, self-execute, you know, uh, some of the terms in a traditional legal documents into smart contract. And uh, when we are doing that, you know, doing our market research, uh, we feel like one of the major use case for that uh, feature will be signing like a fundraising documents like, you know, SAFT or SAFE, uh, which uh, we are you know, collaborating with some of the legal law firms uh, in the world to um, produce this, you know, um, uh, generalized version of like SAFE contract or SAFE plus uh, token warrant contract uh, that can be self-executed. So uh, following on, on this idea, you know, last year also Balaji um, wrote an article called Mirror Table, and he also talks about um, this kind of issue uh, who, you know, he ended up investing us <clears throat> uh, in our seat round um to basically build a um uh build a on-chain uh cap table management system for founders and investors by uh having helping them to uh, make all the fragmentation of you know uh different uh, diff uh so basically uh, doing an angel investment or like a vc investment is super fragmented and you know basically using um using on-chain uh products uh like you know stable coins uh identity like ens um, smart contract platforms, um, yada yada, and ETH sign. You'll be able to kind of aggregate all that you know little piece of uh, experience into this fully automated on-chain experience by having projects and investors to execute fundraising, um, manage their cap table, or you know the, the token cap table. So we call it a token table, right? And uh, as well as you know um, have uh, the founders uh, to unlock the tokens once TGE to uh, their investors, um, you know um, team members, communities. Yada yada yada, and uh, in total, and we can also build. We also build out this very cool feature called uh, financial due diligence dashboard that basically records um, all the interesting, uh, you know, uh, data that a project needs to be, uh, you know, show to let's say uh, their retail buyers or their communities or exchange to see their transparency of their uh, treasury management uh, or their you know token unlocking schedules, um, et cetera, and et cetera. So. I feel like token table is like a product extended from Sign that, you know, uh, serves another market. Um, but, you know, like, a, uh, but I think this is like a very, you know, a cool ex uh, experiment where we're, that we're doing. And Jack can probably talk about some of the technical details that, you know, about the unlocking uh, contract, as, uh, so on and so forth. Oh, one thing we forgot to mention is um, we also uh, going to allow the people to trade their uh, locked SAFT. So it's this, you know, like uh, basically exit liquidity. Uh, for the tokens that is still locked and to build a um, OTC market, um, you know, it's like secondary market for trading old SAFs and saves. But 
um, we are eliminating the counterparty risk by providing this, um, you know, uh, you, by the, providing that the ownership of this token is actually belong to this person um, because, you know, he is like on-chain uh, verification of, you know, everything. And uh, they're going to, uh, the holders of, you know, uh, we call it future token. Maybe Jackie can talk a little bit about it. But essentially, the point is to uh, create like a secondary market for a SAP transfer uh, to unlock liquidity for uh, investors or founders. Uh, and um, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, let me uh, let me talk about that really briefly. I think we only have like five minutes left, right? Yeah. yeah um, um, if you need to go over, no, go ahead. But yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I don't want to. Yeah, because 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 token table is actually uh, a lot more complicated than ETH sign. But if we spend so much time on ETH sign, we might be spending a bit more on token table. But um, but but basically, in a nutshell, I, I will just like highlight a few of the things that uh, that are. The highlights, highlighting the highlights of token table. So, um, from a smart contract perspective, um, uh, every single project they only have to make one deployment period. Uh, so, one token table unlocker for uh, token unlocks for one project token, um, and also uh, you're able to uh, reuse a lot of the. Uh, let's say you uh, you're you're uh, you're raising a seed round, then uh, within within the same round there are sh uh, there are parameters that are shared. Between all the different uh, investors, so you can actually uh, save that, and you and, and when you create new investors, you don't have to fill out partial data, which makes it cheaper. And I think the the most interesting thing that uh, Potter touched on is something called uh, future token uh, and tracker token, which Potter didn't. But future token basically is um, let's say um, let's say Evan, let's say you are investing in each sign, and um, what the way that future token works is that um, instead of instead of um uh, if you use like the token table unlocker instead of um the uh, the claim uh the, the claimable entity being an address it's actually an nft so your unlocking schedule is actually an nft this is very similar to the way that uh, sablier v2 works um is that um you basically you have your unlocking schedule in an NFT. And uh, as part of said before, if you're trying to trade SAFs, uh, currently you just, what you do is um, if you're trying to buy SAFs from someone, you ask them to send over the PDF or whatever the terms. And then when the day uh, of claiming comes, you just have to hope that uh, they won't front run and rug you, right? But uh, in our case, you know, uh, you will know for sure that only you can claim things if they transfer you the NFT, right? Um, and, um, and, and I think this is like really cool. And for the NFT, you're actually able to see um, for each NFT, um, you're able to see how uh, their their entire unlocking schedule. Uh, when does it start? When does it end? Uh, what what the curve looks like, and um, how much has been claimed? How much is pending to be claimed, and how much uh, there is to be claimed in the future? Um, and tracker token is actually a, a companion. It's basically uh, a, a convenience ERC twenty token that you add to your wallet, so that um, if you are a future token holder. Um, then uh, you you will be able to see how much that you're currently eligible to claim from your wallet. You don't have you don't even have to come to our website anymore. Um, so yeah, so uh, we're running a bit low on time, but uh, these are like the highlights of uh, of token of the token table unlocker. So gas is cheap, 
um, gas, sorry, not gas isn't cheap, but uh, uh, that's like technically the wrong term, but um, the gas cost is low <laughs> and, um, and it's very, very flexible. And uh, oh, we also have another feature which um, enables projects to join us halfway. Let's say you're, you're currently using a different unlocking product and you wanna come to us, this is totally fine. Um, we have a feature called skip. Basically, once you stop the unlocking, you cancel everything on your old projects and you take note of how much um, everyone, uh, you take note of everyone's unlocking progress. Um, and you actually, you don't even have to do that. You just have to remember like, when did it start and when does it end? You have to remember, you have to re recreate the curve on our end and then we'll automatically calculate um, how much has been skipped, uh, meaning that how much has already been unlocked. So you can basically just, you know, immediately uh, continue um, your unlocking. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, a brief summary of like uh, the more technical aspects of Token Table. I gotta say, that's really cool. And it's just so cool seeing the fact that like, you know, on-chain environments really do change the script. They really do provide more transparency and more liquidity. And so I think what you guys are building with Token Table is really important. There was a lot of features you just mentioned that skip, especially like, wow, there's just so many things that are possible. So great work and all you're working on there. And yeah, as you mentioned, I think we are getting close to the end, but I would love to um, hear from either Potter or Jack or both of you, um, you know, where can individuals find more information about yourselves as well as well as eSign and Token Table? Everything is on our uh, webpage. Uh, we also have uh, our documentation. Um, so either eSign.xyz or docs.eSign.xyz. But if you just go to eSign.xyz and tokentable.xyz, you can see like all the relevant links from there. And also our uh, newest announcement will be uh, posted on through our Twitter. So that's all, and also our Discord. So uh, the, also the- We actually also have a Telegram our... channel. Actually, it's like an update channel that you can follow, and that will post like all the product updates there. Exactly, and uh, that's probably the easiest to stay in touch. And also, my DM is always open. Uh, and also, uh, ETH uh, sign. Feel free to you know follow ETH sign, and you know uh, also follow ENS to like. Uh, thank you for uh, for uh, Evan for having us. You know, it's really a great time uh, uh, talking about you know the some exciting stuff that we're building together. My pleasure. And thank you both Potter and Jack for joining us. You guys gave great explanations of what you're building. You're building amazing products and we are so happy to have you a part of the ENS ecosystem. I do want to thank everyone for listening. As always, we really appreciate each and, each and every one of you in the community. And with that out of the way, I would like to wrap this space up. Uh, I want to let everyone know that we will be back next Wednesday, usual time. And until then, have a great rest of your week, everyone. Take care. Thank you for coming. There's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism. Taoism, Taoism, where it's
was like the more you fight something the more like the opposite of what you want inevitably it kind of starts to happen tripping on the bird app listening to nerds flap wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed it's like everybody's holding heavy bags in web 3 that's why they can't fly they just drowning in the bird bath fishing for some crop powder watch how we ignite the tower blowing up their bank accounts forgetting how to fight the power y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes they preaching open sauce but don't listen to the code and now it's mutiny community uprise there's no more humility futility plus size motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles motherfucking west side shit needle and noose sticking with my armory and beta and bruce repping psychedelic artistry believe in the truth like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue gm fam really worth all the effort is it really worth all the fighting is it really worth all the drama and the answer i think is a clear no they started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, huh? Less knee jerk, more evolution, less shit coin preachers pretending to be teachers. Y'all just predatory leeches. I mean, please, just look at the track record. A bunch of VC rap fucks sucking up the cheddar. The recipe is two steps rinse and repeat. Now we all in your butts and we bring in receipts. GM fam, have a seat. If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you, you would be like, don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it. Just say, like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces.